0: Jesus. Now, Jesus' brother James did not necessarily, during Jesus' lifetime, believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. He did not necessarily believe that, but in some point in Jesus' journey, likely after Jesus' resurrection, James did come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So James is writing this book, and it says he's writing it to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. Who is that? If you remember from the Old Testament, God has a chosen people, the nation of Israel, and they are 12 tribes. So, the 12 tribes, these Jews, have now seen Jesus' death and resurrection... ...and some of these Jews have believed that Jesus is the Messiah, and they have now become Christians. Of course, there were many non-Jews who also believed this as well. Jesus came for the Gentiles as well. So, James is writing to these people who've believed in Christ. So, he's writing to Christians... And it says, of the dispersion. If you remember, or if you've ever read through the book of Acts, we see that some of these people that become Christians, life becomes very difficult for them. There's a lot of persecution going on, and some of them have to leave the cities they're living in, leave things that they're familiar with, and be dispersed to other areas and to other cities. So James is writing to these believers who have gone through persecution and are dispersed and living in other areas. Now, on your verse sheet, the first thing that I've written is, and again, we just talked about it. James is written, perhaps one of the first New Testament's book written, not very long after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's written to Christians, but it's written to first-generation Christians. Now, again, some of them have been Jews, but they are now Christians for the first time. And so some of this, if you can imagine yourself as Christians for the first time wondering, what does this look like? They really wanted and needed to know. Now, again, it was the same God. But what does this Christianity look like and mean? The second thing is very important. And I'm going to not just say it tonight, but every night that we are here. Because if you don't understand this, you will miss the book of James. And it will be very confusing and discouraging for you. James is a book that is not, repeat, not written about how to become a Christian. Remember, I just said he's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians, not about how to become a Christian, but how to live a life of faith once you are one. James has a lot of things that he tells you to do. And if you think that you can obey the book of James perfectly, and, well, first of all, you can't. I can't either. But even if you think, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of good stuff that I can become a Christian. That is not the point of the book of James. Ephesians 2 is on your verse sheet, and I want you to look at that. It explains clearly what salvation looks like. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Becoming a Christian involves a very simple set of facts simple but profound. You understand that you are lost in a sinner, you're separated from God, and you deserve his wrath. Jesus came and took your penalty and your wrath upon himself. He experienced the penalty for that in his death. God raised him from the dead. And you get Jesus' righteousness. You get Jesus' life given to you simply by believing in what Jesus has done. By grace through faith. Not by what you do. James is written actually to address what happens for us in verse 10. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So James is writing to these people, telling them what some of these good works are, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is where James comes in, in verse 10. And James is a book that is meant to be lived. It is not just meant to be understood. It is meant to be lived. He would rather you know one thing and live it than know a hundred things and live none of them. Application matters significantly to James. So because of this, at the end of your um outline, there's a small phrase that says, For this to matter, I must, dot, dot, dot. That's gonna be there every week. And that is for you as you listen. There are a thousand things I could tell you to do in response to what we study tonight. This is for you. This is for where the Holy Spirit hits you and says, hey. We need to work on this this week. That is for you to write down here what you need to do for this to matter and to put in your blank, and it will require work. Whereas salvation is by faith, it's a gift of grace. This whole becoming like Jesus and experiencing freedom and victory and all of that It's going to involve some work on our part. So you will definitely have some assignments to complete this summer because that is how James works. So it is a wonderful book. You do not have to wonder what James thinks. He tells you right up front. (laughs) So (laughs) we may have a hard time figuring out how we're going to live this out because it's going to take work, but it's not really that hard to understand. He's pretty direct with us. You're going to love this book. Today we're going to study specifically the verses that I've got on your verse sheet, starting in verse 2 and going through verse 18. And you'll see on your outline that there's these three boxes, this table, there's a lot of blanks in there. I know that we all learn differently, and for the purposes of the first half, really, of us talking, I want you to really focus on learning and understanding. If you learn by writing things down, great. There's some things that are going to come up on the PowerPoint. But for those of you who are going to be more concerned about getting all the blanks filled in, I'm one of those people, I've made copies of my PowerPoints that you can pick up and take with you. So you don't need to worry about getting every blank filled in. I want you to think and understand what's going on here and see it played out more than I want you to fill in the blanks. There are three questions that as we read through these verses, I want you to ask. I want you to look at what James tells us to do I want you to do, look at what the results are from us doing those things. And I want you to put in there what you learn about the character of God. How, what is it about God or how he works or what he's done that motivates us to live these things out. So pull out your verse sheet or your Bible. And as I read through verses 2 through 8, which is where we're going to start, I want you to be underlining and circling anything you think might be an answer to those three questions. Here we go. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, let's begin to fill in this chart and see some of the things that would go under these categories. Start with me in verse 2. The first phrase, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, clearly that is something we're supposed to do. Now, I almost joked and thought, really, welcome to summer Women in the Word Bible study. None of you are going to come back next week after verse 2. I mean, do you really wonder what James thinks? I mean, it's going to be hard for us to figure this out, and we're going to talk about this a lot over the course of the next 40 minutes. So don't pick out anything out of your purse to throw at me quite yet. (laughs) At least give me the course of the evening before you get too irritated. Anyway, like I said, you may not like what James says, but you won't have to wonder what he thinks. Okay, count it all joy when you meet various trials. That's something we're supposed to do. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when our faith is tested and we respond in in God-honoring ways, such as counting it all joy, what happens? Well, the result of that is steadfastness is built into our character. All right, let's keep going. Verse 4, right off we see another command. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Okay, okay. Following that, we have another result. If we do that, what's the result? What happens? You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, clearly you see kind of what the chart thing is going to be. Now think with me for just a minute about these promises and what that is said here teaches us about the character of God. Again, there are other scriptures that clearly teach these things, but think about what those promises and commands, what that teaches us about the character of God. Well, at least it teaches us a lot of things But certainly God has a purpose All this that's going on is not accidental There's a plan for it Because I don't know about you I would really like to be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing I would say that's a good thing So his purposes and plans are good If he's guaranteeing these things Certainly he's sovereign We see his goodness Okay, just think And again, there's a whole lot more we could write there but these are the types of things we're learning about the character of God. Go back with me and let's finish out these verses and then we're going to come back through and talk through this. Starting in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, I qualify right there. Okay, I lack wisdom, so what do I need to do? Let Kathy ask God. Great, okay? That's something I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to ask God for wisdom. The later verses tell us in faith. Okay, okay. What's the next phrase? God who gives generously to all without reproach. So what do we learn about God? God gives wisdom generously. He's a giver. He is wise. He is generous. I mean, there's things we learn about the character of God. Now, when we ask for this, what happens? Continue to follow it out. And it will be given to him. Well, what is the it? We just ask for what? Wisdom. It doesn't say ask in faith for whatever you want and you get it. It says, ask God in faith for wisdom, and you get what? Wisdom. Great. Okay, so we see the result. One other thing I've described in here, what we don't want to be, based on those verses, is a person who asks in doubt, because what happens if you ask with doubting? You get instability. I'm not interested in that. Now, by saying, ask with doubting, it's not saying that you have a perfect faith. None of us has a perfect faith. I don't have a perfect faith. What it's talking about is you can see this double-minded man. The instability is this is the type of person that goes, well, maybe God will work, or maybe this religion, or maybe that, or maybe whatever. I mean, they're, they're not committed to one way. They're, they're not saying they're getting this way perfectly. But there's at least a buy-in to, all right, I'm God's, I'm going to go his way. I'm not going to on Monday try one thing, Tuesday. And you can see how if that's how your life was, how you would be tossed and unstable. That that makes sense to me. Okay, now we've seen the chart. I want us to step back and look at it for just a minute. I want you to see how it all begins to make sense. At the top, I've put kind of what the flow looks like. We see God and who God is. Let's start with the God gives wisdom generously. He's a giver and he's generous. That's who God is. Well, if we're going, really any time, but remember, he's writing to people that are in suffering. And I don't know about you, but especially in the middle of suffering, I need some help with knowing what to do, right? Okay, so it makes sense if there's this person who is wise and generous and a giver that I would go ask him for wisdom, right? So our response to the character of God, what we do is we ask. Well, then what happens next? Wisdom. There's a result. This all makes very good sense. Go back to the first one, God has a purpose and a plan, so in the midst of whatever we're in, we counted it all joy. What's the result of that? Steadfastness, and then perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, to pretend like in this 40 minutes that I'm going to be able to answer every question you have about evil and suffering and how in the world that makes any sense, in light of the fact that I know that many of us walked in in significant suffering, it's not going to happen in 40 minutes. But there are a few points that I want to make to at least give us some things to think about. There's actually, if you want to study this more, Tim Keller in The Reason for God has a great chapter on evil and suffering, and I recommend that to you. A few things that I want us to look, look at. Count it all joy when you meet. doesn't say if, when. Implication is Christians will meet trials of various kinds. I get that. Don't like it. But I see that. Okay, count it all joy. That doesn't necessarily mean you're doing backflips and super excited over whatever the suffering is. But in light of God's goodness, his purpose, the results he's bringing, his character, there can be a sense of joy in what we're going through. Okay, that's the first thing I wanted to point out. There were four things. There are actually a million, but I only picked four. Um, The second one is, I think it's real important that as we look at this, that that i make a point we're going to see this in the next verses we look at god is not the author of evil we're not holding god accountable and saying he has done anything evil i think jesus's death and resurrection is the perfect example of evil people came and murdered jesus with an evil purpose to come god somehow sovereign in that very same event had a good purpose So we don't get to hold God accountable for evil that is there. We'll see that coming up in just a minute. The third thing I wanted to mention is this, and Tim Keller talks about it a lot in this book. At least go intellectually to this place with me for a minute. I don't know about you, but I'm finite. I don't understand everything. I am incapable of that. And God is transcendent and majestic and massive. And if we have a God who's transcendent and big enough that we're okay being mad at that something is going on because he's not stopping it, then we at least have a God transcendent and big enough to have a purpose that we don't get. Now, maybe not till heaven. I mean, I, I am finite enough that there are things that happen that, to be honest, I don't get. But what I do get of God and the fact that I know that he is infinite and I am not, and he is transcendent and I am not, I'm convinced enough by what I've seen to be true of his word, and if he sent Jesus to die on the cross and be raised to the dead from my sin, he's good enough and loving enough that I'm going to acknowledge that there's something there right and good and okay, though I don't necessarily get it at the moment. We're going to come back to all of this, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of food for thought because I know that that is a crazy hard concept to even begin to consider. I also want to talk for just a minute to those of you in the room who are like me, who are doers. I like a list and I like to get things done. I'm the joke of my friends because I like to have an empty inbox at the end of the day in my email, if possible. I want to do it and get it done. And sometimes things happen, I want these results and I go to the to-do list. All right, I need to do this, I need to do this. And sometimes I have to back the truck up and remember, it doesn't start in the middle column. It starts with God. It starts with me knowing and understanding, intellectually and emotionally, and experiencing the character of God or the whole deal falls apart. In fact, recently, and again, I love thinking about God and I I love who he is, but I just go right to the list of things to do. And recently I started reading through the Psalms And I felt like I should do this because I'm so to-do oriented. And I'm only reading through... I'm only reading the ones that are, like, really filled with a lot of things about God's character and filled with praise things. So there really isn't a list of things for me to do. Now, again, after I've seen who God is, I need to respond to that and act a certain way. But it's forcing me back to this instead of, okay, what's my to-do list? And for some of you in the room who are like me... Under the, for this to matter, I must, you need to put down, think about God more, (laughs) instead of what it is that I need to do. I would encourage you that if you, and we were studying through James, which is a whole lot of to-dos, and I would encourage you, if you don't have anything else you're reading this summer and need a suggestion, to read through one or all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just begin to make a list of who Jesus is. Just write down a list of who he is and meditate on that. Because understanding that, understanding who God is, has everything to do with what James is getting ready to tell us to do. All right. Let's head back to our chart making for just a minute. Um, Verses 9 through 11 are great. And I wrote them there. There are themes that run throughout the book of James. Suffering is one of them. So today we're covering that. And I've pulled some other verses from James in. Verses 9 through 11, talks some about wealth and money. James also hits on that, as if you weren't irritated enough with me talking about suffering. I'm telling you we're talking about money later. <laughs> but that's coming. So we're going to cover these verses a little bit later. But for now, pull back out. We're going to do the same exercise and do one more chart here. So pull back out your pen. And as I read through these verses, now that you've kind of seen how this works, write down, underline in your verses... Things we're to do results in who God is. Starting in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." Okay, let's go back and begin to fill this in. Blessed is the man who what? There's what we want to do. We want to remain steadfast under trial. What's the result of that? What happens? For when he stood the test of time, he will receive what? The crown of life. All right? Heaven's coming, which God has promised to those who love him. So what do we learn about God? Among other things, he makes promises and he keeps them. All right, let's keep going. Here's the command of verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Okay, and we're all tempted to do that in the middle of suffering and trials. Turn around and blame God for what he's doing. So that's a very pertinent command to speak to our hearts. Okay, so what about God's character makes that command make sense? God cannot be tempted with evil, and God himself tempts no one. That's what we learn. Now, um... I'm going to read verse 14 through 15, and I want you to see, and again, I've put it in italics here because it's not the exact phrase from the Bible, not exact characteristics, but you're going to see an opportunity to understand desire and sin as well as avoid death. And in suffering, that's significant because if we're blaming God for something and it's not Him, guess who it might be? Me. And I want to understand that so I can respond to it rightly and avoid death. We're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks, but look at how it describes it here. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Okay? As understanding and be able to respond to that is incredible insight and very helpful information for us. Let's keep going as we fill in the end of our chart. Do not be deceived. I do think in suffering it is very easy to be deceived, for me anyway. All right, verse 17 tells us what it is we learn about God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. That's what we learn about him. Coming down from the Father of lights. So who is he? He's the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, he is unchanging. So when we are not deceived, when we understand every good and perfect gift comes from him, he's the father of lights, he's unchanging, there's a right perspective and all that comes with that. Now let's step back and look here. I don't know about you, but that far left side of that chart really excites me about God. If we meditate on who God is, he's unchanging, the father of lights, perfect gifts come from him, makes promises and keeps them. That is amazing. He is amazing. Reflecting on who he is absolutely impacts and overflows into my life. I wanted to read, um, I told you I was going to also read some verses from the last part of James that I think work really well in connecting with the remaining steadfast under trial. Because sometimes, at least for me, the motivation in a trial is, heaven is coming and one day I won't have to do this anymore. It just is. And that is very exciting and a very real, acceptable motivation. Listen to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Again the same command again. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Remember we talked about this phrase earlier. You have seen the purpose of the Lord we talked about God being a purposeful God. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We see his character. Um, I want to step back for just a minute. Like I said, we're talking about suffering. And I understand that suffering, it's one thing intellectually. It's another thing for all of us emotionally. And some of you have walked in the doors with suffering that is very real. And to read something like verse 2 and here, Be patient, remain steadfast. Almost sounds mean. And you also think, well, what in the world and how in the world does that look like? Everyone handles suffering differently, and to an extent, that's okay. For the purposes of at least fleshing it out for a little bit of what I looks like, looks like, I want to talk to you just for a little bit about how I approach suffering, which I do not do perfectly and mess up a lot in. So by no means is this a perfect example. But I just want to explain a little bit of what that, about what that be patient, remain steadfast thing looks like, at least for me. And I have, again, these are mine, I have three categories of suffering, and when I'm in them, I may not know which one this is going to fall into in the end, but this is what I call them. There's what I call the yay category of suffering. Here's what that means. At the time, I thought it was really bad, but looking back, yay God, I'm glad that's what happened. I mean, how many of us can list boys that we had crushes on, or boyfriends that we thought were the one that we are really glad we are not married to? I mean, at the... Amen. I mean, at the time, you thought this was a crisis, and you look back and you go, yes. Yes. (laughs) Really? Yes. Or the job you really wanted and didn't get, and three months later, the company goes under. Those are the ones pretty palatable for us, right? We may not know it at the time. I call them the yay kind of suffering. (laughs) Second kind, what I call them, is the, all right, I get it, or I get at least part of it. You're able to look back, and even if it was hard, and you might not pick it, there's something you learned, something you got, something God did, something he taught you about himself, something that worked on his, in your character, a perspective, a blessing. There's something you got, and you may not have liked it, but you kind of get it, or at least part of it, and you're okay with that. Didn't like it, but you're okay with it. Then there's the category that I have termed, for my own sake, that I'm never going to get it" category. There are some things... This side of heaven, and I don't even know if I'll care in heaven, I'm not going to get. Why the chemo I had last year had to hurt that bad for that long, you will never be able to give me an explanation that is going to somehow make it okay for me. You're just not. My nephew, a few months ago, four years old, seizures in the hospital, in the children's hospital, in ICU, to watch him and my brother and sister-in-law and our family and the other families in the children's hospital. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe God is good and has a purpose. I don't think he's the author of evil. I'm not questioning him. But I am too finite to get that. And I have to put that in the I'm never going to get it category. I remember growing up in high school, there was this man that walked around my church who had the most peaceful, gentle-looking face. I, I can still remember it in my head. His daughter was a year younger than me. We were in the same youth group. It was a smaller church, so everybody knew everybody. And one day, this man showed up at their house and kidnapped her and did things that I won't say what he did and then murdered her and then did some more things that I won't say. And I still get a gut in my stomach to this day when I think about what that man's face looks like, looked like for me for years after. I don't get that one. I'm not going to ever begin to open my mouth to explain that to him. I have to have that category because there's some things I don't get. I know God is sovereign. I know he's good. I know he's not the author of evil. And praise Jesus, I know there's none in heaven, which is part of what makes me really excited to go. But I have to have that God gets that understanding, Kathy doesn't get it category because I don't know what to do with it. There are three among many errors that I and I think we sometimes make in the middle of suffering. And I want us to note them to guard against it. The first one is, I always tell people, I may not be able to tell you how to make your suffering any shorter, but I know what to do to tell you to make it worse. And you can sin and screw it up and make a bigger mess out of it. You know, we can sin and make it worse. We can foster the bitterness or make poor choices or whatever. We can add insult to injury. ...and make it worse. And I don't know about you, but there's times I've done that... ...and I want to watch that. Here's the second thing I think some of us do. We avoid talking to God... ...because we've become so comfortable... ...and used to being mad... ...and the victim and whatever it is... ...we don't want to let it go. That's become our identity. And how we relate to God... ...and how we relate to other people... ...and why we think they love us... ...is because we're the victim... And we refuse to talk to God about it and potentially let it go because we're terrified of what it would be like to not carry around that identity. The third thing is that sometimes we do is that we refuse to move on without getting the answer or feeling that we want. Those things that at least for me go into that I'll never get it category... I have to recognize and be okay with an infinite God getting and knowing things that a finite human doesn't. And if we refuse to move on until we get that it, it might not come. Um, So what do I do? There are seven questions that I, in the middle of suffering, talk to God about. I mean, there are others. But these are seven that, for me, remain a, a pretty open dialogue between God and I in the midst of suffering. The first one is this. God, what do I need to do today or what is that wisdom for me today? In the middle of suffering, I'm so often to, well, what if? Or in a year, what should I? Or whatever. And especially in the intense suffering, I just need to do today. And it might be anything from do laundry to cry to plan the funeral. I mean, whatever it is. Like, what is the wisdom and what is necessary for me to do today? Because tomorrow, we'll handle tomorrow when tomorrow is today, but right now it's tomorrow. And I just got to do today. Second thing I ask in and about suffering, which not all of these are answered or answered when I want them or at the time, but I ask God, God, is there something you're teaching me? Like if there's something I need to be open to and learning, I want to be open to that. I think about that in suffering. The third thing is, and the answer to this is usually yes, do I need someone to walk with me through this? As believers, we weren't intended to necessarily We weren't intended to handle it alone. Who are good, godly, God-centered people? You know, a mentor. We have the soul care ministry here at Christ Chapel. People that need to help with practical things. I ask that question. Who and what do I need help with? The fourth thing I ask is this. Have I created part of the problem by sinning and making it worse? And do I need to seek forgiveness? And if I have, I want to ask forgiveness of God and the other people involved so I can get rid of that, and move on. And the next thing I ask is this, and this is a big one for me. What part of your character do I need to remember and think on? I mean, I try to bombard myself with things in that left column in the middle of suffering because I need every ounce of remembrance of that. And quite often, for me, other people are different. I don't necessarily learn new things in suffering. I feed off of what I learned before. So when I am not in intense suffering... I am intentionally trying to store up on God and who he is because I'm going to need it. <laughs> yes, I am. And so I, I ask that question, what very simple basic truths or scriptures do I need to hang on to? Uh, the next one is, what gifts have you given me? In the midst of suffering, I am very inclined to forget about what I have got because I'm thinking about what I haven't. And I miss things I have gotten So I ask that God's question. God, that question, and we talk about that. Spend time in the Lord about that. Um, Question seven, do I need to drop it? And that is, the things in category number three that I'm never going to get it are just building up an anger and a frustration for me, and I am antagonizing this situation, and either for a season or until heaven, I just need to drop it, because no answer is going to come to this finite individual that I'm going to be able to fathom it. A few weeks ago, I was at home in South Carolina for Easter, my sister just had a um, little boy the beginning of April, and he's three weeks old, and there was a moment, his name's Grant, so crazy precious, holding Grant, outside, Cindy, I think, was taking a nap, I'm hanging out there, and for whatever reason, this thought hit me that cancer that I had a year and a half ago was uterine and ovarian cancer, so I don't get to have kids. And I'm sitting there holding my sister's little boy, and in that moment, it kind of struck me, I thought, God, you know, even though I don't get to, you do know this is still really what I wanted to do. And he was like, yeah. I thought, this is going to be one of those that for now and maybe forever, I'm not going to get, am I? Yeah. So I probably need to drop this instead of antagonizing you about it and just go on what I know to be true about your character and Jesus' death and resurrection. And I probably just need to, to live there, right? Yeah, probably so. At least for today. Because if you don't, you're going to miss the gift you've been given, which is hanging out with the cutest little boy on the planet. (laughs) And what's the wisdom for today? Well, Cindy's going to wake up in this time, and we get to do this, and we do this. I'd have missed God and missed the moment by being intent upon arguing about something that this girl ain't going to get. I have to tell you that teaching this lesson, in some ways is the hardest one I've ever gotten. Because if verse two wasn't in the Bible and I didn't believe in inerrancy, I wouldn't have the guts to tell you that. Because some of you have walked in the door in the midst of and reflecting upon things that are wretched, and I almost want to punch me for saying verse two. I get that it's hard. And as a teacher, I, I always try to move people intellectually and emotionally as close to experiencing the truth as I can. There's always that gap. And I have never before felt the magnitude of the Grand Canyon Gap between what I can say to you and making any of this make any sense. So I've invited Brian and Jennifer Keita, and they're going to do it. Just kidding. <laughs> Actually, they're not, but I have invited them. And they're going to come up because I, I, can't, I can't jump in your heart and make this okay And I can't be God to you in the midst of whatever you're in. So what we're going to do is, just a minute, they're going to come up, and we're going to sing two songs. The first one is Jesus, I Am Resting, Resting. I actually picked two of my favorite songs, so yay. Um, And they're both very God-centered, Christ-centered songs. And for the first one, if you want to stand and sing, that's totally great. If you want to kneel or pray or talk to God about whatever that trial is and meet with him over it, um, I'm going to start us in prayer, and then Jennifer's going to kind of come in and sing, and we're just going to keep going, and you just talk with God about that for the second song. Um, even though it may be hard, and if you have to stand and mouth the words through tears, that's totally fine, but it does say, count it all joy, and I didn't write the Bible, but I got to tell me and you that we got to do it. And so if, if standing and mouthing the words through tears is what you got to do, that's fine. But it's a, a song called, In Christ Alone, And I want you to bring whatever your trials and suffering and bags are and um, meet with the only one who can comfort you, the only one that can give you any joy and peace, and uh, really the only one that um, we ever need or could want. I'm going to start praying, and then Jennifer and Brian are going to come and uh, transition into song. Lord, you know how much I have agonized over this moment because really always when I teach, but especially today, if you don't show up and somehow connect the truth of your character and the truth of your word to every individual woman in this room, I can't do it, and you and I know that. And so, God, in this moment, it's really all yours anyway, but in this moment, I give each woman and their trials and their suffering and their heartache to you. And I leave them in the presence of one who is unchanging, the Father of lights, gives every perfect gift, is sovereign, is good, demonstrated as love to me and to those who are Christians by sending your own son to die on the cross and be raised again. Though I don't get it, I can't question whether you love me. I can't question whether you're good you so are, Uh, God, this time is uh, for you.
1: I think um, for me, Jesus, I am resting has a lot to do, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to really rest um, once it's time for bed, and so um, in those times, I feel like resting has a lot to do with trust, so trusting and resting in who he is is kind of my my way of dealing through the day-to-day and the things that happen in the day and Kathy I have to say you're one of the best teachers I know you really are I know this isn't about you but you really are (laughs) so anyway and everybody it's great to have my husband here he had jaw surgery and uh yay (laughs) still a little swollen but he can still play So um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So I really would love for you guys to to worship our Lord and find rest in him right now as you sing along or not sing. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what?
0: with such special worship time we'll be back here next Thursday 7 o'clock take another look at the book of James with Kathy and uh, we'll come and bring, come back and bring a friend with you and if you want to sign up for a summer salad luncheon Ellen Schaefer is right out there she can do that for you and thank you so much for being here see you next week